We're back in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, so you can turn in your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at two verses this morning, verses 26 and 27. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And I'm going to read as we begin here, Ephesians 4, 17 through 27. So you can turn in your Bibles there, and we'll read this passage as we get started. Ephesians 4, 17 through 27. It's God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for your rich blessing on your word as we listen to it and as we hear it preached. Be at work in our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've entered into a section of Ephesians which gets very practical. And the Holy Spirit is telling us what it actually looks like to put off the old self. So there are negative commands like do not lie and Do not steal, because lying and stealing are qualities of the old self. And then there are positive commands like tell the truth and do honest work and be kind and truth-telling and honesty and work and kindness are qualities of the new self. And one of the wonderful fruits of having new life in Christ, if you have new life in Christ— One of the beautiful, wonderful fruits that come with that is the power to be angry and not sin. So let's simply take these two verses. There are four phrases. We'll take them one at a time, the four phrases. The first phrase is be angry. Did you notice that this is a command from God For you, Christian, to be angry. Do you ever think the Bible or God would command you to be angry? To put it negatively, if you're never angry, something's wrong. To not ever be angry is actually, according to this verse, to disobey God's word. See, God doesn't call us to be Stoics. He doesn't call us to shove down and repress our emotions. In fact, if you were to read through the book of Psalms right now, you would see very clearly that the book of Psalms is 
full of the emotions of the heart, including the emotion of anger. So we should embrace anger as a good gift from God. We should be passionate people as Christians. Things should fire us up. Certain things should really deeply upset us. There was a man named Adam and his wife was being tempted to sin by a liar and deceiver who would destroy her life. And Adam in that moment should have been what? He should have been angry. He should have been angry. And it should have led him to protect his wife from sin and to slay the serpent. But instead, he was passive, afraid, cowardly. He did not have the righteous anger that he should have had. And his lack of anger made space for the first sin and for the unraveling of the whole world. So what ought to draw out our anger? I have two words in mind, evil and injustice. Evil and injustice. We should be angry when God's name is defamed or the gospel is mocked or the name of Jesus is dishonored. We should be angry when widows or orphans are mistreated. We should be angry when the elderly are taken advantage of. I think it was an insurance organization that called my wife Rachel's grandma then in her 90s, and this man was preying on her because of her age to get money from her. And one of Rachel's relatives was there and talked to this person on the phone. And I remember after that conversation, now that's righteous anger. And it was good. Uh, he didn't lash out or fly off the handle or he wasn't out of control, but he was definitively firm, and even confronted the person on the line. We should be angry about this kind of injustice. We should be angry about the abortion industry, which takes the lives of our most innocent for financial profit. And this anger within us should be an energy in our soul that leads us to pray and that leads us to help pregnant women who are afraid and don't know what to do. We should be angry about the pornography industry which abuses women and children. And our anger should motivate us to refuse to look at it and to encourage others likewise to refuse. We should be angry when one person mistreats another simply because of the color of their skin or their nationality. And our anger, in this case, this inner energy called anger should motivate us to pursue racial harmony and love. We should be angry about deceit and disloyalty. In the case of adultery, there is a place for righteous anger. We should be angry when young people disrespect or shame their elders or authorities. We should be angry and grieved over each other's sin. You say, that sounds strange. We should be angry over each other's sin. Yes, I want you to go mark down a verse and check it out later. It's 2 Corinthians 11.29. And there the apostle Paul uses the word indignant. He says, I am indignant when Christians are falling away from Christ and falling into sin. We should be angry and grieved over our own sin. 
upset by what it is and the chaos it brings. If you, if you read John Calvin's commentary on this verse, he really hones in on this anger should be anger over our own sin and the destruction that it brings. We should be angry about hypocrisy and legalism and judgmentalism. Think about the life of Jesus. Wasn't he saying, woe to you, to the legalistic scribes and Pharisees of the day? Didn't, didn't that judgmentalism and that legalism elicit the anger and the grief of our Savior, Jesus? We should be angry and grieved over the husband who can't control his anger and abuses his wife. We should be angry about abusive leaders in the church. And aren't we hearing all sorts of things today about abusive leaders in the church who take advantage of those who are under their authority? Even right now, these injustices and evils ought to be drawing from our hearts a righteous anger. That's right. That's good. Now, what we do with that anger is all important. But clearly, if we're not angry about these things, something is off about us. It's actually unholiness to be unangry all the time. Unangry, that's not a word, but that's true. It's, it's unholiness to be unangry all the time. So John Stott, commenting on these verses, says, there is great need. This maybe surprises you, but listen to what John Stott says commenting on this verse, be angry. He says, there's great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant, angry, not apathetic. If God hates sin, his people should hate it too. If evil arouses his anger, it should arouse ours also. So be angry. But here's the thing. In our social media age, everyone is angry about everything, it seems. And there are hundreds of thousands of expressions of anger online every day. They're called posts on Facebook or tweets on Twitter or whatever else. We live, don't we? We live in a culture of outrage. Everyone's angry about something. And it's not good, a lot of it. And people feed on this powerful tendency to anger, to draw others to their cause. So listen to what Ray Ortland says. He says, this is why I don't trust my anger. And I don't trust yours. If you come recruiting me for your cause and your appeal is, look how wrong they are. We've got to do something. Well, they might be wrong. They might be worse than you think. But I keep remembering the words of Paul Reese from years ago. The early Christians did not say in dismay, look at the, what the world has come to. They said in delight, look who has come to the world. It's good, isn't it? So we need to hear this next phrase, be angry and do not sin. Do not sin. Ephesians 4, if we rewind to Ephesians 4 verse 1, it begins kind of second major section of the book of Ephesians. And the apostle Paul drawing from the rich theology of Ephesians 1 through 3, says this, first of all, in verses 1 through 3. You can look there. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Apostle Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So these are the controlling qualities. Did you hear them? Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, peace. So when the Holy Spirit commands that we be angry, it is not ever an anger that is prideful or harsh or impatient or unkind. It is, never, is not ever an anger that is devoid of love. We see this exact same thing maybe more clearly if you fast forward to the end of Ephesians 4 where Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, there's our word, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So to be commanded to be angry is not a justification to be a troublemaker. It is not a justification for lashing out when you're personally offended or hurt. You can't say, well, the Bible commands me to be angry so I can just let my angry emotions flow. So what is the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger? Well, the Bible actually has a lot to say about anger. And if we look outside of Ephesians 4, we'll start to get a fuller picture of what the Bible says about anger and what the difference between sinful anger and righteous anger is. So Galatians 5, you don't have to turn there, but in Galatians 5, Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. And one of the works of the flesh is fits of anger or outbursts of anger or fits of rage. Sinful anger is anger without self-control. Sinful anger is anger in your heart minus self-control. And sinful anger is an outburst of destructive emotion. I was driving on the highway the other day and a semi-truck really badly cut off a guy driving an SUV. Now, what happens at that point? There's anger, right? But what happens with that anger? Well, in this case, the guy driving the SUV changes lanes, speeds ahead, swerves in front of the truck, slams on his brakes, and almost gets hit. And he's driving this nice Audi SUV. And then he doesn't stop there. He brake checks once, almost gets hit again, semi-slams on his brakes. Brake checks second time, almost gets hit again. And I'm right here watching this whole thing go down. Third time, brake check, and then he speeds away. And if you had been sitting in that car, what you would have felt and likely heard would have been an outburst of anger. The clear example of an outburst of anger, road, what is it? Rage, road rage. And that same anger is in all of our hearts as human beings. It's an outburst of anger. Now, Psalm 4.4 is what Paul likely quotes in Ephesians 4.26. And in Psalm 4.4, the psalmist writes, Be angry and do not sin. And then he writes, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Now that individual in the SUV did not ponder in his bed and be silent. But what the psalm is calling us to is take a step back when, when you feel that rage inside. 
We, at, at my workplace, we often lean back on this phrase in the face of big decisions, let's sleep on it. Meaning, let's not make a rash or hasty decision here. Let's give it time. So with anger, a lot of times we simply need to sleep on it. Waiting, praying, discerning what's going on in my heart. Not an outburst, sleeping on it. And then discerning how to respond, not just letting our anger fly. Now, we need to remember that it's a dangerous thing to bottle up anger. You can sleep on your anger for a day, but if you sleep on your anger for two years, something's wrong. That means likely you're bearing a grudge against someone who's hurt you. And, and in that case, you need to deal head on with that anger because it's going to come out in a way that you probably don't want or expect. And so maybe this is a chance for you to think, I have been bottling up anger and I need to tell a trusted friend or pastor and work through this. But Proverbs confirms that Outbursts of anger is what sinful anger is all about. A sinfully angry person is quick to anger. So Proverbs 14.39 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. And you know people like this who they just get hammered with stuff and they're still slow to anger. It's a beautiful thing. But then the second part of Proverbs 14.39, But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. The book of James confirms that we're to be slow to anger. James 1.19, very familiar verse. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Yes, slow to anger. This is what righteous anger is all about. Think about King David's anger toward Nabal. You remember the story? Nabal, the fool, badly dishonors and shames David and his men. And David is furious. He's angry about this. And he's ready to go destroy Nabal. But Abigail, Nabal's husband, in wisdom, leads David into being slow to anger. And then here's the key. Here's what Abigail leads David into. Trust God to deal with it. And isn't that so much our battle with anger? Who's going to take vengeance? Me? Or am I going to leave it to God? The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Let the Lord, it's hard. Let the Lord take care of it. He will do a better job. So what's righteous anger and what's sinful anger? A couple definitions. Righteous anger is anger toward evil and injustice expressed under the control of the Holy Spirit, ultimately trusting God to handle the situation. Sinful anger is anger out of control, an outburst expressed for personal vengeance and which harms others and dishonors God. Those are long definitions, but I can give them to you afterward if, if you'd like. Um, I need to battle sinful anger and regularly confess it and repent of it. And here's often how it works for me. At work, I can be poised and respond well to tensions. And then when I get home, I've been bottling things up and I can lash out 
at my kids or say an angry word to my wife. And I need to confess that and repent of it regularly. So here's what I've been doing. I have a 25-minute commute to work. The last five minutes, I turn off the music or the audiobook I'm listening to, and I pray, asking the Lord to help me love my wife and children well when I get home. So what does it look like for you to take a small step to combat sinful anger in your life, bringing it under the control of the Holy Spirit? Be angry. Some of us need to hear that. We're too lax or cold or we've become callous to the evils of the world and we need to hear this command. Be angry over evil and injustice. Some of us need to really hear, be angry, but do not sin. Now, can we progress this thought a little bit further? Yes, we can with a word picture that the Holy Spirit gives to us where he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, maybe you've heard one interpretation of this verse to take it very literally, applying it to not going to bed angry. In other words, literally, don't fall asleep angry. And I think that's a good principle, especially for married couples to resolve differences before the day ends and a new one begins. But one clue that this might not primarily be what Paul is referring to is the psalm that he quotes. Remember Psalm 4, verse 4, that we looked at. And in that psalm, it's actually King David. And where is he at and what time is it at? It, well, it, he's on his bed and it's nighttime. And he's got anger and righteous anger in his heart and he's dealing with it. And so what, what this could mean is that this isn't a strictly literal meaning, but it likely means that in our various relationships, we're not to let anger get the best of us. We're not to let anger be the controlling passion of our hearts. That belongs to love. Love is the controlling passion. And maybe for you, there's only one person in your life who knows how anger takes over. And it's, it's a problem. It's a, it's a deep and serious struggle. How the sun goes down on your anger and there's an explosion. And perhaps this is a time to consider telling someone else about it. Coming clean about it. Getting the help you need to be a more peaceful, joyful, gentle, patient Christian. And isn't it a beautiful thing when one Christian comes to another Christian and says, confess a sin, says, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the sin in my life. And they don't receive, you don't receive condemnation back, but in Christ you're forgiven and let's work through this together. So think about the various relationships in our lives as a spouse. Where is the sun going down in your, on your anger? As a parent, where is the sun going down on your anger? As a child, and I know that um, many children are in here this morning, and maybe as a child you realize, I really struggle with anger in my heart. And you can pray, young person, you can pray, 
Lord Jesus, will you help me with this anger that I feel toward my siblings or toward my friends or toward my parents? And you know what? Jesus will come. And if you pray that prayer to him, he's strong to help you in that battle with anger. As a friend, maybe there's a friendship and there's anger there or as a boss or coworker or employee or as a neighbor. Where is the sun going down on your anger? Where is that relationship at? And how could you take steps to deal with it? Now, note from Ephesians 4, 24. Look back at verse 24. And I want us to note something here. In 4.24, Paul talks about how we're being recreated and restored back to our original dignity and glory that we had at the beginning. We're being reshaped to become more and more like God. Do you see it there in verse 24? We're being created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're more and more taking on the beautiful character qualities of God himself, So when Paul says, be angry, what he likely has in the back of his mind is be angry for God is angry. Yes, God is a God of anger. How could he not be? He's perfectly pure and he sees in full depth all of the horrors of injustice and evil in the world that he created. God would be unrighteous if he was not angry. And his anger is proportionate. It fits with the wrongs that have been done in the world. So God's anger is actually very, very intense. It's called wrath elsewhere in Ephesians. So if you look down to Ephesians 5, 5 through 6, says this, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. But So God's anger, God's wrath. But God's anger is different than ours in one important way. Our anger is never, ever, to be expressed in judging, punishing, or taking vengeance on our enemies. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to pray for those who persecute us. But for God, the most central expression of his anger is judgment and taking vengeance on his enemies. He is the judge. Again, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And no one in the universe has the right to say that but God. This is why Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, had such an impact 300 years ago. People who sat in the pews of Edwards' church 300 years ago and heard this sermon preached, their eyes were opened to the reality that they were God's enemies in his hands, and he was angry. And the hard truth today is that if you have never trusted in Jesus, the reality that you have to reckon with is that a judgment day is coming, and God is the judge, and he has anger toward sinners who have not trusted in his son. God's anger is slow. He's slow to anger. 
but it's also sure. It will surely come. That is real. It's hard. It's hard truth, but it's real. And the only hope for escape from God's wrath is to put all your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's why. God, in his great love and mercy and kindness and grace, sent his only son to earth. And Jesus was the innocent one who absorbed the wrath of God for us, the guilty ones. Jesus took our place on the cross, dying the death that we deserve to die, taking on the wrath of God that we deserved for our sins. Now, that is some hard and depressing truth that God is a God of wrath and that a judgment day is coming and that if you are outside of Christ, you are underneath his anger. But today could be your day of joy. Today could be your day of joy. Trust in Christ today. He is the only means of our salvation. Many in our culture and even churches are denying these biblical truths. But I say right now, who cares? Let's read the Bible. Let's, let's believe what Christians throughout church history have said. And let's, this morning, do what is important to do and what is most urgent to do, which is to deal directly with God over this. God is calling you person who hasn't trusted in Christ, to trust in Christ today. And today could be your day of joy. Deal directly with God. Jesus is a great Savior. And Christian, believer in Jesus, we have great reason to celebrate because the anger of God is gone toward us. No more wrath, no more judgment, no more condemnation. It's gone. It's been swept away because of Jesus. And it's all love, grace, and acceptance from God this morning. So we have great reason to celebrate as we trust in Christ today. Last phrase, give no opportunity to the devil. The word opportunity is literally place. So it literally reads, give no place to the devil. See, the devil will do total destruction in your life if you give him a place, if you make room for him in your life. If you, if you give him an opening, he will find that opening and he will take it and his express aim will be to take over and to cause pain, destruction, and misery. Ray, Ray Ortland wrote, the devil loves hanging out with angry people. Anger can be very destructive and the devil is very destructive. And if the devil gets a place in our lives, he often uses our anger to cause chaos, pain, destruction, disunity, and turmoil in our lives and in the lives of those around us. But I want to finish now by highlighting some really, really good news for us this morning. Maybe some of you are feeling really stuck in this anger struggle and in your anger failures. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to conquer the devil. 
And through his death and resurrection, Jesus beat not only sin and death and hell, he also won the victory over Satan. And if Satan has gotten a foothold of dominance in your life when it comes to anger, there is a gentle and strong Savior who can kick Satan out and set you free. So I want you this morning to present and offer your anger struggles to Christ today and to pray to him and to commit this to him. Whether for you it's, I'm not angry enough over the evils and injustices of the world or of my own life, or I have this anger struggle and it's an outburst and it's sinful anger and I know it. In either case, to offer this up to the Lord, praying to him and asking him to enter into that struggle. And he is uniquely strong to help and to deliver. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. And in, in the silence, you commit this area of your life to the Lord. So, Lord, we do commit this area to you, into your hands, and we ask for your help in this area. But, Lord, we sin in, in many ways. And so we pause now to confess our sins to you, Lord, sins of pride, sins of distrust of you and your providence over our lives sins of trusting most ultimately in money or possessions or position or reputation or sins of immorality or impurity or covetousness or greed, putting things or people before you. Lord, we, we confess our sins to you, but Lord, at the same time, we're so grateful that you have forgiven all our sins and you have taken away from us by your grace the judgment that we deserved. And so we joyfully rest in your son, Jesus, today. We pray in his name. Amen.